Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going backstage with Simon Lipkin, who's in Ghost Stories at the Lyric Hammersmith. If you're thinking, but this podcast is about musicals, well, Simon's been in quite a few of those. He was in the original London cast of Avenue Q as Nicky and Trekkie Monster, The Wedding Singer, Rock of Ages, I Can't Sing, Assassins, Guys and Dolls. I could literally continue until I ran out of breath. We met at the Lyric Hammersmith, where Simon's in the play. If you know the theatre, you know it's an enormous building. Who knew they even have a cinema in there? Anyway, this episode is entirely spoiler-free, so if you haven't seen the play yet, we don't give anything away. Here's our conversation. Simon Lipkin, welcome to Backstage With. Thank you so much, I'm happy to be here. This is the first time I've recorded a podcast in a cinema. I know, it's like we're crossing over genres. I feel like we have an audience of ghosts. We're doing a mainly musical theatre-based podcast with someone doing a play recorded in a cinema. I mean... That's variation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're covering all the bases. You're doing ghost stories at the Lyric Hammersmith. Yeah. We can't really talk about the plot and what happens. No. How scary... I haven't seen it yet, disclaimer. Why, why haven't you seen it? Because I'm a massive wimp. <laughs> I'm not I'm not scared to tell you that I am. I, I just haven't plucked up the courage. I am not brave enough. Brilliant. I do want to. Yeah, that's what they all say. Do I just need a gin and tonic first? Yeah, just have a drink. Bring a mate. And a, and a coat to put over your head. Okay. And then just come and see it. It's brilliant. It is brilliant. So it's had a couple of incarnations. So it started here sort of uh, nine years ago um, at the Lyric. And then it went to the Duke of York's and did a run there. And it came off and then it came back to the Arts Theatre and did a run there. Then they made a movie of it. And now it's back here. And And it's just, it's the perfect balance of like, theme park roller coaster scary ghost ride and brilliant play like it's it's in equal measure it's not just scary it's really funny like that was the thing that i remember when i first saw it it makes you laugh a lot but it also makes you jump out of your chair and scream a lot tell me as much as you can about what what the experience is like (laughs) well i can basically tell you nothing about it okay um so i play philip goodman He's a parapsychologist and he is, I don't know if skeptic's the right word, but he is, you know, he just looks at, he goes and what scares you and why it scares you and the rational reasons as to why maybe your brain does what it does. But in all of his experience, there have been three stories that he's encountered that he has not been able to shake. And you maybe see those three stories. Okay. And that's it. You're enjoying yourself, clearly. Oh, I am having the best time. Right, I've spent most of my life getting laughs, right? Standing on stage and being an absolute laugh whore. Just like, like me, laugh at me. And getting scares is basically the same thing. It's like, it's he, hearing a room full of 700-odd people screaming in unison is amazing. Is a, There was one woman just the other after a, a particular moment in the show... And the, we'd carried on. We'd gone into a bit that, I'll be honest, it wasn't scary, but she was just still, ah, 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 just screaming at the top of her voice. I also very much enjoy the alpha males in the audience who um, 
are petrified, but their bravado won't let them, but they still vocalise it. So they're like, they just sit there, just going, no, don't like it. Don't go in there, mate. Don't go. What are you doing? Oh, he's an idiot. He's an idiot. Like, it's brilliant. Hilarious. It's brilliant. Is it hard not to corpse? No. Because when you go to the theatre, there's... So, right, we're sitting in a cinema. When you watch a movie, there's something disconnected, right? You watch you watch something, and even if you're watching a comedy, it might make you laugh twice, three times. But in a theatre... You laugh, hopefully, if you're watching a comedy, you laugh out loud a lot. You want that connection between the stage and the auditorium. And whether that be emotion or or laughter, or in this case, fear, that brilliant connection where the front of the stage isn't the boundary between the experience for the audience and the actors. We're totally together through the whole thing in many ways. And... And there's just a brilliant experience that that doesn't happen a lot in theatre. You sit back, you watch, and then you walk out with your mates and discuss whether you thought it was good or not, and whether you could play the part better than the person up there. But in this, you can't fake being scared. So these people that come in that think they're gonna be watching something have no choice but to be engaged. It must be quite satisfying when you do get people who are absolutely terrified oh the best and better for the audience as well because they it it makes it makes them get on board with it and even if someone's screaming at the top of their, their lungs then makes them the audience laugh it's like a release of all of these things like we're all in it together like yeah it's it's amazing and there's there's no interval is there so it's no it's, interval it's, it's relentless eight, yeah it's sort of 80 85 minutes straight through depending on the screaming so it keeps that kind of pressure cooker vibe of once you're in there is no way out. Oh. Look at your face! <laughs> I didn't even make it through Silent Hill, so, Brilliant. you know. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to make you come and watch I am, this. I'm going to come. I We're have... going to do a special performance where it's just you. Oh, no, that would be, that's even worse. Yeah, just you surrounded by people just wearing blank-faced masks. So you're just surrounded by fear and horror. I'm going to make you a promise. Yeah, go on. That I will come. I think next Tuesday I'm free. I am genuinely going to promise you that. Will, will you? I will. I will. All right. I don't make empty promises. Okay, perfect. I I will. I will. If send I don't you, see you there, I'm going to be furious. I will send you a photo saying, "Here I am. <laughs> I am here. I came." It's if I right. if I survive it, that I'll is. see you. I'll be behind you. Oh, don't do that. No, <laughs> no. I won't. I won't. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. You can't tell me. <laughs> How did how did your career happen for you? Are you from London? Yeah, what, I'm a Londoner. Yeah, Essex boy. So theatre was just always on your doorstep. So my yeah, uh, so my parents were absolutely obsessed with the theatre and still are. And my dad is a massive, massive comedy fan. So I got brought up on on the classic comedy. I got brought up on Monty Python and the Two Ronnies and all, all sorts of things. And we used to go to the theatre a lot. My dad loves a musical. Uh, so we used to just go and see things all the time and I fell in love with them from like a super young age. I just was like, oh my, I wanted to, I wanted to do it. And I remember this vividly, like even when I was younger, I would watch something like I remember, I remember I saw Oliver when it was first on and I remember my dad saying to me, oh, will you like it all? Maybe one day you could play Oliver or the Artful Dodger. And I was I remember just going, nah, I want to play Fagin. Like at, at like eight years old kind of thing. I was always I, you know, I saw Joseph and, and I and I didn't want to be Joseph. I wanted to be I wanted to be Pharaoh. And I and I it was always that. I just always had that connection with 
I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I, I do. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm the best actor in the world. I'm all right. I'm definitely not a great singer. And my dancing is, let's be frank, embarrassing. So, um, I, I lo- but I love, I love entertainment in any capacity, which is why I was fascinated with, with making people laugh. And I learned to juggle. And I did magic from when I was young. And anything where I could just sit with someone and have that connection and experience and go, that person's been entertained. That was the bit that got me. So I fell in love with, whilst everyone else was listening to who sung the highest and who belted this or who did that, I couldn't care less. I was like, no, you should watch Michael Crawford in Barnum in the video that they recorded at the Palladium because that's what a real showman does. And that is what I fell in love with and I've sort of tried to carry on through my career. And actually, in, in that sense, you're very rare as that, that type. That type that is, is sort of a classic, doesn't really exist anymore. It's not what you see when you look at the profiles of people who are going to drama school these right. days, is yeah, it? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I, and, I, and I do think... I do think it's it's a real shame. I mean, don't get me wrong. When I sit and watch someone who can sing beautifully and dance like a dream and be that sort of classic performer, it, I, I'm I I admire it, you know. But I do miss and and I think it's really easy to say we don't focus enough on acting because we do. And I think the blunt thing of it is you, you acting. You can learn loads of stuff. You you read you you either got it or you don't kind of thing. And and you can work really hard on technique and skill and craft and all of that sort of stuff. But it's inherent in you. And in musical theatre, you need to be able to do a whole bunch of other stuff. You have to sing. You have to dance. You have to move, you have to know that stuff. So usually that is the thing that is lacking slightly. But I know some phenomenal actors in musical theatre um but what i do miss is and what i do think isn't taken care of is that front-footed showman showwoman you know just that thing that just goes bang this is entertainment and it's quite easy i think to be snobbish about that you know that's why you know broad comedy is everyone turns their nose up at it and it never crits very well and all of that kind of stuff but that's the stuff that everyone loves and laughs at and we never comedy isn't a thing that we take very much care of people are just like yeah big is funny yeah bullshit like it's there is a science and a craft and a technique to it and big stupid dumb faces and just that's not it ham ham it's not it and that's not saying because my god it would be hypocritical if I said that my performances were subtle like (laughs) they are not but and, and I'm and I'm not putting myself in this bracket. But you can be massive as long as you are in based in reality and and it's crafted and smart. And that's that's what I think is lacking. There was a lot to go out in there. Sorry, man. Uh, no, no, that's okay. You just tell me to shut up because no, 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 I no, waffle. No, never. No, no, waffle is good. So you were nine. Waffles t- or just waffle? Um, whatever, whatever you want. You should provide waffles during these interviews. <laughs> I should. Backstage it, with waffles. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll just waffle over a waffle. It'd be like a segment. That would have been thing. a better title. Yeah. USP. Well, if you nick this idea, I'm going to sue you. I've never had a waffle. What is wrong? You've never had a waffle and I've you don't like, like being scared. I've had a potato waffle. Is that no, a different thing? that's a different thing. A waffle, basically, is a pancake in square form. Oh, right. Oh, no, I've seen those. I've seen those. You, you're, it's like you've been under... A, what do you mean you've seen a waffle? Like, waffles are magical, distant... No, waffles no. aren't like unicorns. Like, oh, no, I think I've seen a unicorn. 
I've just never eaten one. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I'm not having a go at you. No, it's it. fine. I'm it's fine. I'm going to have to do it on trial. So now I'm going to be sending you a photo of when I'm at Ghost Stories and when I've eaten a waffle. Wait, but if you're eating a waffle whilst you're watching Ghost Stories, then I'm going to be angry. Am I going to get told off? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll keep me grounded. It's not real. I have a waffle. Just living in the, the more scared you My are. safety Just waffle. shoveling a waffle into your mouth. <laughs> This is not where I thought this conversation okay, would come go. On, here we go. Um, you were right. 19 when you got having your queue. Yeah. How did you get there? Because most people are still in training when they're 19. So what was the path in for you? Right. So I went to um, I went to Sylvia Young's. So I'd been sort of training and working and doing stuff. And then I went to Art Said uh, a couple of years earlier. I went at 16 instead of 18. So I was just kind of ahead of the game. And I didn't get on at Art Said. I hated it. And I think they hated me fairly. And, and now Chris Hocking, who runs that school brilliantly, we laugh about it now, you know. But I was a I was a arrogant, shitty little 16-year-old who didn't want to be in a dance class. And so I decided to leave. And they were kind of okay with that. And, and then I got very lucky and I got a job on a cruise ship singing because my mate was working on there. And then one of the girls that I was laying with, um, <laughs> uh, her agent nice. was 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 breaking away and starting up on her own, and 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 didn't really have all that many clients. And she was Jewish, I was Jewish, so we shared a bagel, and in that, we did a bagel instead of a contract. You know, it's how Jews work. And then I just got lucky. And then she called up, and she was like, "Well." They're doing an audition for Joseph in the West End. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll go. Uh, 18, uh, 19, yeah, 18, and then got that. So I was in the I was in the West End by the time I was 18, 19, and then just assumed, like, people come up to me and say, have you got any advice? And I'm like, I just got lucky. Like, it all just worked out, and I lucked out, you know. And then whilst I was doing that, got a phone call, and they said they're doing the show Avenue Q. And I could do stupid voices. And I was like, yes, no friends as a child paid off. Puppets <laughs> and stupid voices. And I did it and I met the guys. And yeah, nine auditions later Jeez. for Avenue Q. Well, there's a lot to cover. Um, yeah, yeah. I got the phone call. I was in Swansea rehearsing Panto. I had a sword strap around my waist. Wee. And, uh, and I got a phone call saying, you got the job. And I made them call back. I said to... Uh, them, I made them call back and said double check <laughs> and they were like what? I was like no they're pro probably wrong so just double check so they said okay now I know they obviously didn't double check they just put the phone down, waited 10 minutes and then called me back and went yep we've double checked you got the job and then that was it that was it so and that all started with a bagel that all started with a bagel and look at I love I do love bagels yeah. you know in terms of baked goods you know I'm down with that yeah so yeah, yeah. maybe well, that's good maybe you've, you, you've claimed a few points back. I had a bagel not two hours ago actually perfect Lechaim Mazel tov. thanks Oi. <laughs> I had an interview with Julie Atherton when she said that Avenue Q was was amazing mm -hmm. but when you first started there were so many appearances and interviews and TV spots mm. that it was quite relentless and yes. you didn't really know what you were in until about a year later. Yeah, that's really true actually because I don't know if I'm allowed to say this but it's been however many years so we were meant to open I think at Stratford East. Oh really? Yeah, the show wasn't meant to go straight into town. So we they were kind of bringing it over and they weren't sure about it and it was this kind of small thing and so we were meant to open at Stratford East and then they just went we just got calls just saying, that's not happening anymore. It's just going straight in. And so no one really knew what it was going to be. And now we all just assume a show opens on Broadway. It's coming here. 
we weren't really in that kind of everything transfers. It was right at that kind of cusp of it was us and then Wicked and then Spamalot and then and then all of that, the kind of just normality of Broadway transfers, then that just became its thing then. But so, yeah, we were, uh, what's the technical term? Plugging the shit out of it. And so we there was one day it was me john me john and julie basically did all of it and we were up at six every day in the morning doing press on radio shows tv shows breakfast shows doing weird appearances here we're doing all of this kind of and then we rehearse and then we'd be back in tech or rehearsals or whatever then we would do the show and then they'd have us booked into some late night kind of alternative comedy set and that was for months, for months and months and months. And I guess because we were young and also a, a lot of people moan about that stuff and go, oh, my God, it's so stressful. It's really fun. I mean, there's people saving lives and we get put in cars and told, what do you want for lunch? Like, it's not the hardest thing in the world. Like, So it's exhausting and it is tiring and your brain goes a bit fuzzy. But, yeah, it wasn't until about maybe seven, eight months when it all just died down of being oh, you've won a variety award, go and collect this, now be at the Royal Variety, and then we're off to the Olivier's, and then we're doing Children in Need, uh, oh, Comic Relief, and then we're, you're doing Challenge Annika now, and you're recording this album with this person, all these celebrities want to meet you, and you'll uh, be at their birthday party, because they're, and then all of a sudden, that sort of levels out a little bit, and you go, holy sh, what are we in? But for me, every step of the way with that show was an absolute dream and a joy, and I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Did you ever get your voices mixed up? Did I ever get my voices mixed? Um, uh, no, I don't think I did ever get the voices mixed up. I definitely went on with the wrong puppet a couple of times. Oh, God. Yeah, that was bad. Which one? Uh, oh, God. I, I mean, it happened several times. But you're doing so many fast changes. There were something like 50-something puppets in that show. Because every time it comes on in a different costume, it's different puppets. And they do different things, left arm, right arm, all of that kind of stuff. I definitely came on with the wrong puppet. We had a lot of puppet malfunctions. We lost a lot of eyes, a lot of arms. <laughs> Um, it's a bloodbath yeah really funny but no I don't think I ever got my voices mixed up they were so different mine were so different you know I went from down there to they were you know they were they sat alright okay because okay. I had Becky Luck on and she said that she get, the yeah, number but, of times she got Lucy but then I but she had closer. to do the conversations by herself so she had to do that stuff where Kate and Lucy were talking to each other and the voices are not like crazy weird voices so I can, I can, I can imagine that. Did you ever have a scene where someone else did the wrong one, or, or something went wrong with them, and you were kind of um, trying to help them recover? Well, uh, me and me and John Robbins weren't very good at not laughing at each other, and I mean a lot of stuff went wrong. But the one that will always stick with me is that he did a song called "My Girlfriend That Lives in Canada," where I've just outed him to the entire community as gay, and he's trying to cover it up. And there's this panicky bit before the music starts. And he goes, ah, ah, ah. and then there's a, a bell note from the piano that goes, ping, beat. And then he starts singing. And it was a matinee. And then it was maybe some older people. And there was an old, um, and he went, ah, 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 ping, pause. Old lady farted quite loudly <laughs> on the front row. <clears throat> but in like perfect, like a bell note, ah, 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 ping, I, ah, like, and we were gone 
God, and I don't know how John made it through the song, but it's the one time where you're like, thank God I've got a puppet because you just slowly move the puppet in front of your face whilst everyone's shoulders are bouncing. And then there's a small piece of dialogue where, but which didn't happen. Everyone just left the stage. And then we had to do the emotional crux of their story, which is he throws him out of his house and... And I just saw John Robbins, he finishes on one knee, the song. I just saw him on the floor, gibbering and bouncing with laughter. And I went, and it went on for about a minute and a half to the point where someone in the audience shouted, get it together, boys. Oh my God. Yeah, we were in a lot of trouble for that. A lot of trouble. But the explanation, the brilliance is the explanation is what happened? They burst through the door. The resident director, the MD, what What went on? Somebody farted on the front row in perfect unison with the song. <laughs> right. Well, don't do it again. I mean, that's tell that to the woman in the front row. There you go. She never knew. She got the biggest laugh of the night. <laughs> the inside um, scoop on Waffle with Waffles. <laughs> Excellent. I'm going to have to rename this podcast. <laughs> that is just outstanding. I just don't know where to go from that. Go on. What's your next question? Well, I was going to ask you about Spam a lot. Go on, ask me about Spam a lot. Was that the original production that went on tour? No. So we did the first. It was the original production of the new of not the Broadway one. Right. So they the party line was this is how we always wanted to do it. I think the actual line was this is the cheaper way of doing it. But in fairness, it went from because I mean I loved the original production. It was amazing. It was huge. Yeah, huge and funny. And but what because Eric Idle worked was in rehearsals with us the whole way through, and he kind of said it was amazing and we loved it. But this version is what we would have, what the Pythons would have done. Blokes on stage just doing funny stuff, and that was pretty much it. There wasn't much more to it than that. So it was much more along the lines of the 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 what would have been the Python approach. Uh, and it was amazing. I grew, like I said, I grew up on that stuff and on Python, and so, so getting to getting to do all of that that stuff in those scenes was amazing. I loved it. Was that your first tour? No, no. I had done. Yeah, I did the Wedding Singer. Oh yeah, of course yeah, you did. I did the Wedding Singer. Where it came over from America, and we took. That was like two thousand. Was that must have been straight after Maybe yeah, two thousand and eight. I think it was. It's great. It's the only show though. Well, I, I mean, the music is amazing. But it's the only show where I would actually say this would be better as a jukebox musical. Do you think? I mean, I love the music. But if you could take the music and put it in another original show. But I think when you're doing The Wedding Singer, because those songs are so closely connected with the film and they're diegetic. It's not like they're in there. He's singing like, just keep those songs. They're brilliant songs. If you do an 80s pastiche that sounds like them, you just go, why can I just not listen to yeah, original. I get that. It would be like doing Notting Hill without the songs that were in the film. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I get that. You've done a lot of origination. You did do quite a lot of origination, didn't you, quite yeah, early yeah. on with Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, yeah. It was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant fun. I mean, exhausting, but brilliant fun. Just like singing classic rock every night. And I love improv, and it's what I've done a lot of and all of that kind of stuff. And so I had chunks of the show where I just talk to the audience and just do stuff with them and poor Oliver Thompson used to have to go through one scene where I'd come on with a program and then dissect his biog and I'd do something different every single night oh my god and poor guy what did you do I mean I did everything from I used to make I mean I didn't stick to his actual biog I just made up and the programs are so expensive no one was buying them so they couldn't check Uh, so 
I used to say he was in all sorts of things. Uh, he was a professional ice skater, dressed him up as an elf and let the audience take pictures at Christmas. Um, dressed him up for his birthday and had the band play Happy Birthday to him. Made them turn the house lights on and he, because he had been obviously sexual and swore during the show when his mum and dad were in, I made him put the, put the house lights on and go and apologise to his mother in front of everybody. Uh, That's brutal. Yeah, it was good fun. Poor guys. <laughs> God. And then I guess there's there's some sort of symmetry going from things like Rock of Ages then into I Can't Sing. Right, yeah. The X Factor Look show. at the glee in your eyes when you say I can't sing. That little glee of like, tell me everything. I was just, want, I just, I'm a mate. I just, I never saw it. I never right. went. I mean, I didn't really. Nobody get... did. <laughs> but then what do you think the problem was there? Do you think it was in the marketing or in, in terms everybody? Of the... every, I think because a lot of people didn't see it, everyone just goes X Factor musical. It was rubbish. It wasn't. It may not have been your cup of tea, but it was a brilliantly written comedy, and a lot of people. And actually, the reviews were pretty great. Um, but I think they may have got carried away financially before opening, which probably didn't help. Um, and I'm not going to say any more than that because no, I'll fine. get in trouble. Do you think they would have coped better if they'd got a smaller theatre? So when we did the workshops, uh, we did the final workshop at the Soho Theatre with a cast of, I think it was 12 of us, 14 of us, playing everything that was there. It was a cast of 36, 7 at the Palladium. Ginot, like, humongous, to ridiculous. Um, and we did it with 12 or 14 people and it was amazing it was amazing and you had because of like Simon Cowell and all of those people were there for those final workshops but you had like Matt Lucas and David Williams and all of that and like Matt says it's the funniest thing that workshop is one of the funniest things he has ever seen and it was and then all of a sudden they went right well let's do it and it was like a moment from the expert Simon Cowell they were, had a meeting room next door where they were going to discuss whether they were going to take this forward he came marching down to the front and it ripped the piss out of him and he loved it he came marching down straight to the front and, and stood up in front of the audience and us and went uh, we're meant to go into a meeting room next door and he genuinely said it's a yes from me and and they let off these confetti and like it was a thing like we had got through to the next round of musical theater like it That's was a weird matter right exactly but it's what he literally stood up on stage and went we're doing it but all of a sudden because Andrew Lloyd Webber was there and all of a sudden it was like well if I'm doing a musical we're doing it at the biggest theater in town so we're doing it at the Palladium it's gonna have the biggest set the biggest cast the biggest and every step of the way I think maybe people were kind of saying but it, look how well it worked just being this beautiful comedy, like small, intimate. Let's go into maybe do the Spamalot kind of vibe. Let's go into a thousand-seater and it be funny and just a bit gritty so it can laugh at itself. The minute it gets big and glitzy, you connect it to the X Factor and then you're like, well, I could just stay home and watch it on TV or why am I going to pay for something? If you don't like it, why would I pay to see something that I don't want to fund? Or, And if you do like it, you're probably going to say, I'll just watch it. So it kind of just was somewhere in the middle, um, but I did. I, it was a very happy experience. That whole thing. See, now I'm really sad that I didn't see it. I, it was super funny, super funny. How long did it, did you actually run for? Six weeks, seven weeks. God, so it was really yeah. short. Oh man! So when you got your notice, did you know it was coming? Absolutely no idea. They wanted to close it that same night, and it was only because because they didn't know the psycho people didn't know how it worked, and they have to obviously legally two weeks notice and all of that stuff so yeah got a two weeks notice and that was it 
how did you react? Do you know what? I... Uh, it was really sad, but... And, and people were very sad. And obviously, it's not just showbiz sad when you're like, my show's closing. There were a lot of people with kids and families and bills to pay and mortgages and all of that. And, and not just that. It's not just the cast in those situations. There was however many hundreds of people working in that building from, from backstage to the front of house staff to the box office staff. Everyone lost their jobs because there was nothing going in there. And and they're not just going to keep paying people. So in that sense, it was heartbreaking. But um, I wasn't sad to not do it anymore, if if that's all right to say. I kind of, I was, I'd kind of gone, well, actually, in a weird way, I kind of got home and was like, wow, this sucks. And then I was like, well, you, you've got to the stage where you're, it will probably start turning into a job anyway. So, all right, fine. Keep going. Keep going. I mean, not six months later, you were basically at the opposite end of the spectrum doing Assassins. Yeah, it was. I don't even think it was six months, I don't think. And weirdly, I look back at it and had it not closed and had I, I don't think I was in it for a full year, my contract on it, but I wouldn't have done that. And that was, for, for me, that was the turning point in my, in, in, in things. So Was that like your first grown up thing? <laughs> grown up um, well no it was I didn't I knew nothing about assassins when I came to see it right and I was kind of, I found it really hard yeah I loved it yeah. but I, I mean it makes you work doesn't it yeah it's not an it's not an easy watch but yes it was my first grown up because it all been fluffy comedy musicals and which I love but but yeah it was my first sort of grown up thing I said no to it originally assassins really yeah because on paper it's one song right at the beginning and maybe four or five lines in the rest of the show and I was a bit like oh, I'm not I'm not sure this is for me and uh, I met with Jamie Lloyd and David Babani who runs the chocolate factory and Jamie just said I've got an idea for this and just trust me on it and he's an amazing man he's the, the smart brilliant clever man and so I was like yep yeah, okay and it worked out worked out all right. It worked out all right. I mean, it was incredible. And the fact Thanks. that you had people like Aaron Tveit and... Oh, it was amazing, yeah. I mean, the cast was... The list of names Insane, was, right? It was insane. Insane. Even just to sit in there, you were thinking, I'm in this tiny room with these people. Yeah, it was cool. It was crazy. It was cool. And we all felt like the uh, least talented person in the room, which was the thing that I loved most about that group of people. There was There was no ego in sight. It was just a group of people, and because of the, it's sort of quite poetic for the show. It's about a group of loners and a group of people who all probably could have walked off and been at the top of whatever game they wanted to be at, kind of thing, and all just walked into this room and felt like the least valued member in that room, That's which insane. made us together feel like an absolute unit. I mean, I learned from. It's where I met Andy Nyman. It's why I'm sitting here doing this podcast talking about ghost stories you know because it's where I met Andy and we got on like a house on fire and there are a lot of brilliant people that I have worked with and, and this is not to devalue any of the others but in terms of work ethic and approach to stuff Andy Nyman is if you haven't seen him in Fiddler on the Roof pay remortgage do what he's it's like a lesson to take apart like Tevia and which is you think there's one way to play that part and then and and pretty much there's been lots of people do their thing with it still in that same bracket and then you watch him do it 
it's phenomenal. It's nothing like you've ever seen before. And he does that with everything he's ever done, whether it be his writing, his directing, his acting, his and it's what he's done with ghost stories. He's taken theatre and gone, yeah, sure, I'm going to do a play like no one else has done a play before. And so to watch him and work with him single-handedly was the most inspiring experience. The thing with assassins, there must have been some amazing conversations in that room. Yeah. Well, interestingly, we were all kept separate. So I, if you remember, and for the for the for the listeners that didn't see it, um, it was four years ago. Yeah, I, my memory is quite hazy of it. It was so. The story basically is people that have attempted successfully or not to assassinate the U.S. presidents over history, starting with John Wilkes Booth and Abraham Lincoln, and and then it just goes through history. And my character, the proprietor. They're all in this kind of weird limbo world and they just kind of tell their story one by one. And my character is sort of the gatekeeper, the devil of the world. He, And so for six weeks of rehearsals, no one was in the same room as anyone else. No one rehearsed with anyone. Like you'd just come in and do your story and then leave and then you wouldn't see that person again for another four days. And he kept everybody completely separate and they were just coming and do the thing, except for me and Jamie Parker. And even Jamie, because Jamie was kind of, we were kind of, in essence, the base form, we were good and evil, you know, the right right and wrong side of your conscience. And so, and but Jamie wasn't, it was just me and he, and sitting there watching these people and kind of be in the scene and just walk around and I'd f- sort of feel a bit lost and like I was just in the way and they'd kind of go, well, I don't know anyone else. Like I remember us talking about it after we opened and people going like, well, someone asked me, you know, what was Mike McShane like? I don't know. I've not really met him yet. Six weeks down the line. And then two days before we opened, we were all in the room and Jamie went, oh, I've had an idea. I think everyone should be on stage through the whole thing. And everyone was like, what? Well, we haven't rehearsed. And all of a sudden what he had done, like the very clever man he is, is create this loner feel in everyone and this lack of knowledge of ev- of everyone so when you put everyone in a world together all they knew was their world and they were cautious of everyone else and so everyone was in their own time zones in their own periods their own playing styles didn't know how to act around everyone else and then me spending six weeks feeling like i was just getting in the way all of a sudden i was just walking around the space and i owned it and i ushered them where to go and and he had just cr- sort of orchestrated this beautiful ballet of weirdos and loners for this show and that's i think what made it so special it was quite freaky as well how you could be watching. I, I remember like, Catherine Tate being in like a, a roller coaster car or something. Yeah, it was all set in an old abandoned fairground. And yeah. then just seeing people like lurking, mm-hmm. it, it was creepy. Just watching. Creepy as hell. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Then you did Guys and Dolls, which was a departure for you, wasn't it? How did you find your chemistry with Rebel Wilson? We got on like a house on fire, but I think they basically brought me in because they thought. We don't know if she's going to stick to whatever we need her to stick to. So who do we know that can keep up with that kind of... Intensity. Comedy and improv and all of that. So I think I I was not the... In all honesty, I think I can say this now, I wasn't the right choice for that part. I was fine. I I wasn't the best at it. I I think maybe in in 10 years' time, when I'm mid-40s, maybe I'd be a good Nathan Detroit. I think I was all right. You know, but alongside, I think it was a good pairing alongside Rebel and, and we got on great and she worked really hard and she wanted to do a good job. And 
And I thought she was brilliant. And I was back with Ollie and and, and it was, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. We only did it for eight weeks. So it was great. But yeah, really fun to be alongside her. Really fun. You've also been in two of the Nativity films, but in different roles. How did that come about? So Debbie Isaac, who created the Nativity World, uh, we met years ago whilst I was doing Rock of Ages still, and we workshopped the musical. And then we just got on very well. And again, it's all improv. So uh, if you don't know this about the Nativity films, she writes a story structure and a script structure, but everything's improvised. There's no real script. You say what you want, you do what you want. And that's of the stage show. It's all improv. I change it most nights and stuff so we did that and then they were filming the third movie and um, I was meant to play a different I was meant to play a different part in it I'm not going to tell you who's just because it's not respectful and then they pushed back filming and I was already signed to do I Can't Sing so she was just like just come and do something in it so I turned up as I think I was an elf one night in it so I turned up and did that a couple of scenes in that and then obviously the, then the show went and I did the stage show and did all of that. And then they were making the fourth film and they were, they called up and said, do you want to lead it? So I was like, yeah, okay. I was petrified. You know, I'd done films before and, and but you've all, I'd always just turned up and done a couple of scenes and buggered off. I'd never led a movie before. And that was very daunting to, to, to stand opposite Celia Imri and Ruth Jones and Mira Sayal and like British comedy oh, like legends. pedigree yeah yeah the real comedy pedigree you know Craig Revel Horwood there uh, <laughs> <laughs> who was brilliant in it who is brilliant in it but yeah that was really daunting and and then say there's no script you've got to write the jokes on the spot as you go it was a lot that's so, terrifying that is terrifying absolutely and I loved it and I was terrified I was terrified for a bit and then I sort of sat back into it and loved it and and like anything, it was my first go at leading a movie. I'm super proud of it. There are bits that I loved. There are bits where I think, oh, I wish I could do that again. It's not very good. But uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And you were with Daniel Boys on that? Uh, yeah, Danny Boy. Yeah, wonderful. Were you both thinking, how did we end up here? Because, you know, it, it's great that you were able to move into films because so many actors struggled to do that. But you must have been sitting there thinking, this is so good that we're here together. Uh, it's great. It's really great. And 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 Dan. So I was signed a few months before Dan, and they were. And, and I'll say this because it's. I think it's right. And I think it goes back to our earlier thing that we were saying when we were talking about, um, you know, when people say people can't act in musicals. Uh, they were looking at quite famous people for the role that Daniel played, and, but also because Debbie is a wonderful woman and loyal and if she likes someone she kind of doesn't have that kind of guise of they're not a movie star. she's like I don't give a shit they're good come on get in um, so she was like well we'll see Daniel as well and just fair and square he beat the other people to the park he was the best person for the job I wish that happened more and I wish that happened more really, it doesn't happen but what what I did learn is that those simple things that you think are just one person's choice. Oh, why did, Why doesn't the casting director want to see me? Why doesn't the director want to see me? It's not. There are so much more to it. You sit there and you're like, you hear casting directors and directors say, we'll, we'll, we'll see that person who isn't a famous person, who is just a, a, a musical theatre actor or a straight actor or whatever, but not a well-known person. And then you've got a distributor online who needs to sell the film and put it in 500 cinema screens and sell it across seas going but I can't sell that 
because this person's just dropped out. We've only got them for that many days. So now we need this person. And yes, there should be more of that. But there is a much bigger thing of you kind of, I just need it to work and I need, and we haven't got to, everything is time and money and budget and this and that, way more so. So there is a lot more going for it, but with people like Debbie and other people that are out there who will champion, you watch that film, it's like you could play a drinking game of musical theatre stars in that film because anyone that she's ever met that she's got on with is in that movie. So you've got Ramin is in it, uh, John Robbins, Caroline Sheen, Anyone that was in Nativity the Musical, if they were available, they were in it. There's just really Ali Jaya's in it, like just great people. When I ask people what their aspirations are, a lot of them say they want to originate. But I want to know if you could choose a play or a musical to revive and a character to play in it, male or female, what would you choose and which part? Okay, so I would always say um, Barnum in Barnum because it's like my dream role. But in all honesty, I think that show's had its day. And it's been, you know, they've done it enough times yeah. now and it's, it's, well, the really wanky answer is it's not been written yet. Or I'd, I love writing and so I'd write something myself or write with someone and create something. But it would be something, I think the reason why I would have gone towards Barnum is because it's not about, like I said, it's not about singing top C's and who can belt the highest and loudest and longest and that stuff. It would just, it's funny and entertaining and joyous. And I think it's what, if you're listening to this and you are not yet an actor or wanted to be an actor or thinking that you want to go somewhere different, think about that. Think about the fact that it's not just about, you watch Judy Dench sing Sending the Clowns and it will captivate you more than any YouTube compilation of Defying Gravity. It's it's amazing and it's impressive. Of course, there's a place for it. But just that thing where you can stand on stage and whether it's making them laugh, making them cry, or doing the thing that we're here to promote, which is ghost stories, like creating genuine feeling and emotion in someone. And that is entertainment and it covers all of those bases. So it'd be something like that. I didn't answer your question. No, but that's a great little love letter to yeah. that whole Fuck it, let's just have thing. a waffle. <laughs> I really want to try it now. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been really, really interesting Thank and you. entertaining. Thank you. Come see Ghost Stories. Bye. Well, I did go and see it, and I was so scared there were points where I had to shut my eyes and put my fingers in my ears. If that's not a good review, then I don't know what is. You can see Simon in Ghost Stories at the Lyric Hammersmith until the 18th of May. He's also going to be in Nativity the Musical when it returns to the Eventum Apollo in December. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe to find out who's taking us backstage next. And we'd love it if you could leave a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Listener.